Do you know what? We're past halfway to Christmas. You know that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Christmas. I count the days to Christmas. However, it's nice to be in summer, is it not? Hey, next Sunday night, we'll be at Kanakwa. Yes? Our first summer Sunday night at Kanakwa. Pastor Dwayne in charge. It'll be all fired up and ready to go. What, when are we starting? Four o'clock, something like that? Did we get a change on that time? Do we know? How, do, how are these people going to know if we don't know? Well, I'm not in charge. You're not in charge all of a sudden. Four o'clock. Four o'clock? Okay, it's four o'clock next Sunday night. And uh, swimming and... We're going to have food? Yes. Yes, we're going to have food. Do you have to pay for it? Yes. Yes, you have to pay for it. I thought Ed was going to spring for it. Hmm? Raising funds for Zambia. Raising funds for Zambia. All right, so that's even more reason. So that's uh, next Sunday night, and then, um, and then we're back here the next Sunday night, and then we're Kanakwa, Kanakwa, back here, Kanakwa, something like that. So just pay attention to announcements. You ought to, you ought to come early on Sunday morning to uh, pay attention to announcements, and uh, then you'll know what we're doing. So how many of you read on in the story because the suspense was killing you? You've already read through. How many? The suspense wasn't killing you. I know, I'm not talking about reading it once in your life sometime, John. I'm talking about today. Oh, okay. We need to turn in our Bibles to Genesis 37 as we continue the story of Joseph, who um, has got on the, the bad side of his brothers this morning because he was... Willing to say what was right and what was wrong. He uh, was appointed a management position by his father for his faithfulness, his love of his father, being a good steward of, of his father's property. And then he was given, by the grace of God, a vision of the future by way of two dreams that he felt compelled to share with his brothers and his father. And we pick it up in verse 10. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the, to the ground before you? Now, by the way, when it's referring to his mother here, his mother, Rachel, had already died. But obviously one of the other mothers has basically stepped in and is now acting as mother. Leah, perhaps, his real aunt. Um, and then here's where I want to pick it up tonight. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I want you to think about those two different responses. Um... The, the discussion I want to have with you tonight on the text that we're going to look at has to do with bitterness. It has to do with what happens when jealousy is not dealt with. Jealousy undealt with will always lead to bitterness. Bitterness undealt with will always lead to hatred. And hatred leads to murder. And murder is not just necessarily physically killing someone as Jesus already portrayed for us in the New Testament. Once we get to the place of hating someone, we've already, as far as Jesus is concerned, we've already murdered them in our hearts. So we're already 
guilty and responsible for murder. And so I want to look at um, that progression tonight. I want to look at what bitterness does in, um, from this text. But before we do, let's, let's pray together. Father, um, thank you, first of all, for your patience and grace toward us because through the annals of human history and the history in particular of the people you've recorded, the people that have been called your people. From the Old Testament right through to the New Testament has continued to be a, a, a portrayal of anguish and jealousy and envy and bitterness. Um, things within the people of God that that ought not to be found in us. It, it, it ought to be, Father, that we stand out as distinct from the world and its envy and bitter and jealousy and pride and hatred and murder. But, Father, we're looking at the stories throughout the Scripture of the Old Testament people of God, the church in the New Testament. So, Father, I pray tonight as we encounter and confronted once again with, with our, our tendency to betray and mistreat our brothers and our sisters. Father, we come with great regret in our hearts and with humil- humility bow before you and confess that we have been among those who are responsible, guilty of these things. But Father, as we take another look tonight at this matter, I pray that there might be a a new fresh wind of the Spirit blow through our lives, a fresh awareness of the horror and the heinous nature of these things and what they lead to, and that we might have a new resolve in our own lives to treat our brothers and our sisters differently, to treat them from the heart of God. So instruct us tonight, Father. I pray that you would give us a full dose of the picture of what it is to sin against you by sinning against those you love and to... to, uh, call on you and invite you to shape us and reshape us and transform us and change us. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now his brothers, it says in the text, verse 12, had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? 
They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites from the other family side, Ishmael, coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants, by the way, just these are synonym, Ishmaelites, Midianites, same people. And they came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and daughters, or most likely daughters-in-laws, came to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. All right. You know, um, as I was praying, I, I was praying about the fact that throughout the pages of Scripture, we encounter envy and jealousy and strife among brothers all the time. In fact, since the beginning, bitter rivalries have polluted human relationships. Right from the very get-go, Cain and Abel, Remember? On Abel's sacrifice and on Abel, God looked with favor. And on, Cain's, on Cain and his sacrifice, God did not look upon him with favor, upon it with favor. So whether consciously or unconsciously, there seems to be this storyline that runs through the scriptures, particularly within God's people, because that's where the scriptures are mostly dedicated, Describing the, the haves and the have-nots, those who are disappointed with their lot in life, which I would submit to you is fundamentally 
in these rivalries and jealousies and bitterness one with the other is fundamentally about disappointment with God. That's what it's about. What he has given or blamed for, for withholding. And so it's taken out on other people. Bitterness begins, by the way, with jealousy. You see it in the text here. They were jealous of him, verse 11. And fundamentally, because God is the first cause of anyone's fortune, God is really at the root of all resentment. And it's regularly taken out on the ones closest to him. And when something happens, there are always basically two responses toward the servants who bring the vision of God to people. There's jealous, they were jealous of him. Or there's the other response by Jacob, the father, who said, it says there, he kept it in mind. There was a, 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 at least a smidgen of humility within Jacob to not so quickly abandon what his son was telling because Jacob was one who himself had experienced dreams that were given to him by God. So he, he held within him a certain level of respect for what was now being presented. Although he didn't like to hear it, what, your mother and I and your brothers were going to be bowing down to you someday? He didn't really like that. He kept an open mind about it in the event that this must be, might be really from God. These seem to be the two responses. And they go in opposite directions, obviously. Jealousy or those who have an open mind about the things they hear and will respond and wait on the Lord to see if they are truly of God. Now, um, the New Testament has a commentary on this whole matter of bitterness in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. You don't have to turn there. I've got it for you. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is a very, very strategic Scripture text for the relationships within the church of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice in that verse, the, the point, uh, the centerpiece of that verse is about the grace of God. In other words, the undeserved favor each of you enjoy should not be a battleground among you. Because anything you have or don't have is as a result of the grace of God in your life. Whatever you have, you don't deserve to have. And if you fail to understand that, if you fail to, to embrace that in your life and to trust God with what He gives you or with what He withholds from you for a time, and you turn your attention toward people and think that people have somehow generated up this special thing they have or none of the gifts that any of us have we we came upon ourselves they were granted to us by the holy spirit himself christ himself gave us any gifts that we have and if you don't recognize the the undeserved nature of everything that you have then you find yourself in positions of jealousy as opposed to the humility that says i'll ponder these things i'll keep these things in mind and here's what happens. You allow a bitter root to take hold. 
And when that bitter root takes hold, it will cause trouble for sure and defile many. The story that we are about to encounter tonight has everything to do with the brothers allowing a bitter root to settle in their lives. And we're going, we, get, we see, as we've already read, the unfolding of how it caused trouble and defiled many. And I think it's even hard for us. I'm, I'm hoping that we can somehow climb into the emotion of this. Surely, the dads who are in this place tonight, who suddenly, abruptly, were brought news that your son was killed... can somehow get a grip of the causing of trouble and the defiling of many through this bitterness and what it caused. In fact, the dreams themselves that God gave to Joseph were confirming Jacob's appropriate um, approach to his son Joseph. God was already revealing what Jacob had seen in this young man. That he was the right choice. He was God's choice. And the actions of the bitter brothers were confirming that they should not be the choice. All right? So I want to look tonight at five things, five defiling effects of bitterness that come out of this text. As I said, jealousy leads to hatred, hatred leads to murder. And Jesus said, hate is murder not yet completed. And the first is this, bitterness will always blind you to the truth. Bitterness will always blind you to the truth. Look at what's, what this, how this story starts out, this part of the story starts out. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. Shechem was the place where? Remember what we talked about this morning? What was Shechem? We can do some interactive tonight if you want. What, tell me about Shechem. That was where all, that's where the brothers had slaughtered that whole village of, of men. So Jacob hears that his, his sons are grazing their flocks back in serious enemy territory. If you were to go back and read uh, uh, chapter 34 where this event took place, Jacob said to the brothers after they had done this treacherous thing and slaughtered in revenge for their sister's rape, uh, the whole village of men. He said, you have, you've made us a stink in the, in, in, the, in the surrounding peoples. Surely they'll bring trouble on us. And so Jacob is concerned about his sons. And so he sends Joseph, and here's what the text says. As you know, he says to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks near Shechem. It says it right here in the text. He's saying this to Joseph. In other words, Joseph, you know this is not a good place for your brothers to be. Come, I'm going to send you to them. And Joseph, very well, he replied, I'll go. And then Jacob says this, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. 
All the brothers could see is this is another one of these spying missions of our brother coming out here to bring back a bad report to our father. But that wasn't the intention at all. That wasn't the motive at all. Jacob's motive was he was concerned for his sons. Joseph's motive was he was put in the, in the responsibility of going and making sure all was well with his brothers. He was on a mission of mercy, a mission of care. Blindness or bitterness blinds you to the truth of situations. Bitter people will even twist goodness to justify their own hostility. They twisted. As they saw him coming, they twisted and they plotted to kill him. Now, jealousy, envy, and bitterness can cause brothers to do unthinkable things to each other. They wanted to kill the one commissioned to watch over their well-being. That's the tragedy here, right from the get-go. And then they find out that they've moved on to Dothan. The text makes a point of the issue of Dothan here. Anybody know anything about Dothan? This is a place where the brothers take Joseph and throw him in a cistern, threaten to kill him, sell him off. Joseph gets no help from anybody. And God seems silent and absent. When you read a little further on into the Bible, in 2 Kings chapter 6, we come to a prophet by the name of Elisha who was also at Dothan and was also in great jeopardy. And what happened to Elisha in Dothan? God sends an armada of heavenly chariots to surround and protect him. The same place that God is silent in this occasion, on another occasion, God shows up with a great host of army. See, sometimes we think, Lord, where are you? Why are you not rescuing me from this situation? Why are you letting me go through this? It's not that God can't. It's not that God, God hasn't demonstrated in another setting to, to, uh, to step in and intervene. It's that God chooses not to because he has a purpose in this particular situation for Joseph. And it doesn't include rescue at this moment. It is hard to call out to the Lord and cry to the Lord and ask him to deliver you, and he doesn't. It is hard. And so the brothers plotted to kill him. Who really wanted Joseph dead? When you understand the nature of the whole story of Joseph, we know it wasn't really his brothers. It was Satan who wanted Joseph dead. Satan was behind this. When a righteous person is getting hammered, there is always a greater plot, a greater wicked plot behind it. The brothers were now acting as servants of Satan, giving flesh and blood to his will. Which is why, the second point, bitterness emboldens you always to challenge God. Notice verse 20, what they say when they see him coming. 
They say, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Aha. We get to zero in on what was really bothering them. Yeah, Joseph was bothering them a little bit, but come on. Dreams, so what? We've all heard people say dreams. Does it get us all bent out of shape? We, do we, we, we rise up and say we want to murder somebody? I mean, it's dreams. Your, your kid brother comes, you said, I have a dream, a dream of grandiose things that are going to happen. Does it immediately jump to our conclusion? I mean, do we, do we want to murder him? Do we get all fired up about it? No, we're like, yeah, it's a dream. Who cares? No, no, they were taking these dreams seriously. And we find out that at the root of their hearts, it wasn't really about Joseph. Joseph was the messenger. He was bringing a message from God. Then we'll see what happens to, what becomes of his dreams. This was a challenge, a direct challenge on God. Yes, it could be argued that Joseph had naive people skills and was deficient in reading social cues. I mean, obviously, it wasn't, it wouldn't seem to be ideal timing when your brothers are really angry at you to share the good news about your promotion in life. Okay? It's, it's you know, be like, Joseph, can I have a chat with you for a second? Maybe this wasn't ideal timing. Sure, we can go there. I mean, we can argue about that. If this were a, truly a case study in human savvy and skill, which it is not, this is not a public relations text. I think it's more likely that we can see that in Joseph there was no guile. He got a word from the Lord. He felt compelled to share it. He felt that it was his God-given responsibility to make divine revelation that he knew about known. I'm not so sure we should blame him for that. By the way, messengers and messages are regularly fused together. And to bitter hearts, that is lethal. They wanted to kill the dreams as much as the dreamer. They hated God's assigned placements. And they were making it abundantly clear. The third point I notice has to do with Reuben. Some of us are, well, how about Reuben, eh? Good old Reuben, elder brother, comes in and shows some real heart here. I'm going to hammer Reuben, okay? Those who refuse to confront bitterness lack the courage to be upfront allies of those who are under attack. Listen, listen to me carefully. Bitterness can't be cured by compromise. It must be confronted for what it is. In case you've forgotten what Reuben does, let's make sure we look here at verse 21. Reuben, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood, but go ahead, throw the man in a cistern. I'm not thinking that that's really something we want to applaud. 
I, I don't think we should be giving Reuben some sort of congratulate and say, well done, Reuben. You really stepped up as the elder brother and showed some real heart. No, I don't think so. What Reuben is doing here is trying to find a way to please the crowd, quell the heat, and be some sort of arbiter for a win-win situation. Here's what, I, here's what he's thinking. I can stay in good with the brothers, because, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Have your deal with Joseph. Yeah, throw him in a sister, and that'll, be, that'll teach him a lesson. But in the back of his mind, he's going to sneak around later, and he's going to rescue Joseph, and he's going to take him back to his father and show up as a hero. Look at what I did. I rescued your son Joseph. Maybe he'll get back in the good books with his father. Let the boys vent. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it. See to it. Each one of you, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. Stop it. Uproot it. No compromising with it. No playing around with it. And why is that important? Well, the, the lesson is here for us to see. Bitterness, jealousy, envy, mistreatment that, that have no substance, that are without merit, must be called out vigorously or unsuspecting collateral damage will occur. What happens? Reuben is away somewhere having a sandwich... And the Ishmaelite traders come by, and before he even knows it, his brother's sold off into slavery in Egypt. He comes back and looks and finds out, Joseph is gone. My plan is foiled. Because he was trying to be a compromiser instead of confronting the wickedness of bitterness. And then he was unable. He should have stood up and said to his brothers, we will, not, we will do nothing of the sort to our brother. You men are allowing bitterness and hatred and envy and jealousy to, to destroy your hearts. We'll have none of it. And we know that he was going to do a sneaky thing because in verse 27, it says, when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes and he went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. He snuck, when, the, when, the, when his other brothers weren't looking, they were off somewhere else, he was going to sneak back to the cistern, spirit his brother away, get him back to his father and play dumb. I don't know how he got, I don't know how he got back home. I guess he's good at climbing. I don't know. So that he could still be in with his brothers, in with his father, and everything he thought would work out. It never works out. You, you can never play games with sin. It must be confronted and dealt with straight on, called what it is. And here's why bitterness must be vigorously opposed among brothers. The fourth point. Verse 25 to 27. 
Because those who are bitter are merciless and mercenary. As they sat down to eat their meal. Now, now I want to stop and pause there for a second. They sat down to eat their meal, which in the ancient Near East was an activity of fellowship. It was an activity of goodwill, of camaraderie, of the highest level of hospitality, was to share meals together. And here they are with their brother. We find out in several chapters later, in chapter 42, that Joseph was crying out and begging them in anguish to please don't do this. I mean, I don't know what this cistern was like. I don't know whether they could see the bottom of it. I don't know. They, they said it, was, it didn't have water in it. Did Joseph know it didn't have water in it? I don't know if he knew that. I don't know if when they were carting him off and going to throw him into the cistern, for all he knew, he was going into a pool of water that he would never get out of, and he probably couldn't swim, and he was going to drown. He's crying out to his brothers, brothers who are supposed to love you. They're supposed to care for you. They're supposed to rescue you if somebody else was trying to throw you in, the, in a cistern. They're supposed to be the ones who come running first to, to save you. And he's crying out in anguish to his brothers, please save me, don't do this. He's never done anything to them other than tell the truth. What do they do? They, they just fire him in that cistern. And they sit down and enjoy a meal. They, they sit down and enjoy a moment of fellowship. As if everything's fine. This is the horror of bitterness. When it grips you so deeply and desperately and the jealousy wells up and the bitterness to the place of hatred, you can do something nasty to a brother and wipe your hands of it and say, good riddance, I'm, good. I'm glad I did that. I'm feeling good about it. Or the worst. The Lord led me to do that. I prayed about it. They feasted on his hurt, convincing themselves they were justified. So they sat down and ate a meal. And then, and then it says this, and they looked up. The last time I saw that phrase was in Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, when Abraham is about to slay Isaac, he has the knife over his head. It says in the text, and then he looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. In the thick of this horrible scenario, God brings a caravan of Ishmaelites. These guys were no longer moved by the hurt of the abused, but now their cold-hearted grief drove them to God's providential rescue plan. So that Joseph could be the international deliverer and deliver them. Now, they would, um, it says here in the text that Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain, or literally, what will we loot or rake off 
if we kill our brother and cover up his blood. In other words, Judah is, you know what, I'd just as soon kill the guy, but hey, we need to make some money out of this thing. Why would he just kill him? We could make, we can make some money. This is Judah, the tribe of our Savior. So they would turn Joseph, their brother, into prophet, sell him for 20 pieces of silver, and God, in his grace, was choreographing the rescue and deliverance of the very treacherous brothers. Now, where are we going to encounter that again? And sell him off to the hostility of a foreign people. Remember I said to you this morning the propensity of our God to um, preview his divine purposes and plans? Well, this is one of them. Where, again, will we encounter where brothers turn on a would-be deliverer savior for 30 pieces of silver and hand him over to a foreign people to destroy in the very center of God's, in his grace, choreographing the rescue of the very ones who betrayed him. We will never, you know, no matter how many hard times you ever have, no matter, no matter how many hurts you ever encounter, no matter, no matter how many t- extended times of suffering you are ever entrusted with by God, we will never, ever be able to accuse our God of not being gracious and caring about us. He demonstrates to us his salvation, even of those who were betraying. And finally, if bitterness is not dealt with, it drives you to become a cold and heartless person. Doesn't it matter to you? You know, I've, I've asked this of people in... in church setting before, doesn't it matter to you that your actions may cause the disruption of the spiritual progress of your children and your grandchildren? Doesn't that matter to you? Doesn't it? When I look at this, I think, how could these guys be this heartless? They take his robe, they mess it up with blood and they go to their father and say, well, look, we found this. Examine it and see if it's your son's coat. Not our brother's, your son's coat. I mean... Who would do such a thing to their father as to bring this horrible news, allow his heart to be broken, and hate their brother and their father so much 
that they would let him go on thinking that his son was dead. And then gather around him and console him and comfort him. Somehow in their mind, they they came to the place, I guess, where with no conscience, no sense of pain, they take the symbol of Joseph that they hated so much and used it as supporting evidence for their own lives to, to protect themselves. Look, he got himself killed. Somehow in their warped, twisted minds, they came to, the, to, to, to be settled in their own heart and their own conscience that, that uh, we, we had nothing to do with this. Look at some wild animal must have torn him apart. He got himself killed. He got himself into this trouble. He brought it upon himself. He was careless. How unfortunate, how awful. Let's all mourn and comfort each other. Let's pretend that the blood is not on our hands. Those embroiled in hatred toward a brother find ways to go on in denial. That's just the way it is. And there's a great irony here for, jo- for Jacob. Jacob, you see, was a deceiver himself. He had raised this among his children. He deceived his own father with goat skin. And now his sons come back and deceive him with goat's blood. I really believe that God slips in these little details as warnings to all of us. Be sure your own sins will find you out. Meanwhile, God is in the business of saving Joseph. Though he assumed he was being abandoned and set up a great preservation of Israel in Egypt, three times, verse 25, 28, and 36, it says, to Egypt. Remember what I said at the beginning? This whole thing was a plan on how God was going to get Israel to Egypt. It's not the way Joseph would have wanted it. And if any of us were in his shoes, we certainly wouldn't have wanted it either. Could we ever have imagined? And the circumstances that some of us have been through or are going to be in, we'll never imagine what God's great plan and great purpose is until he gets us there. And maybe not even this side of eternity. But make no mistake about it. Our lives are not random. Our lives are not out of control. Our lives are actually step-by-step choreographed by a living God who allows us and invites us to be a part, a small picture part of the big picture of God's plans and purposes. And we're in it. To Egypt. To Egypt. In Egypt. The purpose all along was to get a deliverer to Egypt and build him as a Man of God on the way. So what what do we find out in conclusion tonight? Even hatred and gross treachery cannot thwart the righteous plans of God for your life. They cannot. Neither righteousness nor gross treachery will thwart God's plan in your life. It may be painful. It may hurt. There's suffering along the way. So throw yourself in his hands of mercy. His plans cannot be halted and he cares for you. 
The biblical theme here in this Joseph story is the rejection of God's chosen deliverers. And the way of rescue for the many regularly, regularly goes through the way of betrayal from those close by. It hurts. It's painful. And keep this in mind, all of you who love the Lord. Satan is at war with those who are instrumental to the cause of God. Whether it be an individual or a community of people. And don't be surprised when you become the target. Often before you even contemplated your value to the Lord. And sadly, it comes at you from those who should love and care for you the most. God regularly uses rejection to bring about deliverance, further entrenching undeserving grace to those who are rescued. I mean, that's the issue. The issue of our lives is God presenting himself gracious, 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 over and over again. Let me just read for you in closing Isaiah 53, just a little bit to get you into the... um, context of the heart of this salvation work. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. F.B. Meyer of this text says this do you know by sad experience what Joseph felt beneath those Syrian skies do the archers shoot at you are you lonesome and depressed and ready to give up take heart see the trampled grass and the snapped twigs others have gone this way before you Christ your Lord suffered the same treatment from his own go on doing right In nothing terrified by your adversaries. Be pitiful and gentle, forgiving and forbearing. Be be specially careful not to take your case into your own hands, demanding redress in imperious and vindictive tones. If you are servants, forbear to answer back. Give your backs to the smiters and your cheeks to them that pluck off the hair. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Put down your feet into the footprints of your Savior who left an example that we should follow him. He did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. And yet, 
When he was unjustly reviled, he reviled not again. And when he suffered beneath undeserved contumely and, and reproach, he did not even remind the perpetrators of the righteous judgment of God, but was dumb as a lamb and threatened not and committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. James Montgomery Boyce writes what I think is a helpful concluding statement for us tonight. Envy and strife caused trouble in those days. So do they cause trouble today. Not necessarily in death. But listen, in the declining impact of the gospel of Christ upon our society and world, that's the tragedy. Never in the history of the world have the opportunities to proclaim the gospel been greater. Yet never has the believing church been more irrelevant or more divided. We have money. We have talent. There are opportunities for spreading the gospel through all modern means of mass communication. Yet the evangelical churches seem unable to take full advantage of them. Why? Because we keep fighting with each other. Jealousy, envy, bitterness, failing to make the impact on our world that we have all of the opportunity to make. Let's not go there anymore. Let's not go there anymore.